Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Well, good morning again to you all, and uh, wow, what a what a nice addition to our worship team with Christine, Caleb, uh, Tim back here on keyboard. How many of you know we put a keyboard on stage and said, God, you're going to fill it? You're just going to bring somebody to play that. That's what you have to do. That's, that's faith stuff right there, right? He's like, we don't have anybody right now, but God, here's the instrument. You bring the person. Tim, thank you. And what about this guy here? Started out singing Tina Turner on a Sunday morning, and man... We're sure thankful you did, Todd. Thank you, brother, and Christine, and Caleb. Wow, how blessed we are with with God just growing ministry here at Connections, and we're blessed with all of you as well. You guys are amazing, and and you fought through the one-hour loss last night, and you're here, right? Let's give it up for you this morning that you made that sacrifice, and you're like, what? What hour? I don't care. I'm going to worship God with my church family. So thank you all for pressing through that, the rain, everything else. And how many of you know better days are coming, longer daylight today. The sun's going to shine soon, but the sun, S-O-N, is shining bright right here, right now. So grab your outlines. Get ready to follow along. We are in the book of Nehemiah. I've been in a great study uh, looking at his life and what God did through him. And as we get started, I want to quickly take us back to the beginning of the study. And once again, remind us all of our purpose. Would you write that word down somewhere on your outline in your notes? That word purpose. That is, that is what life's all about. So we're going to look at the purpose of, of what God did through Nehemiah, what he's wanting to do through us. We're walking through the journey of a man who was called by God to do something great, and that, that man, Nehemiah, responding with a resounding yes and stepping up to make it happen with God's help. Now, how does this relate to us? Once again, it's the reality that God has great things for every one of us in our own personal lives. Do you believe that? Because if you don't, man, you're going to miss out on everything God has for you for the rest of the morning. God has something great for you and to do through you in your own personal life, as well as our church here at Connections. We believe that with everything that we are. So sometimes along the way, life gets broken down, right? Things happen. Uh, as Jerusalem was in, in chaos there, the walls were beaten and battered and broken down and had been burned up. God called Nehemiah to lead a restoration project there, and God is calling for us to see a restoration project take place in our lives and in our church body and in our community, and I believe it's going to spread throughout the U.S. and around the world. So that's to catch us up, because if you don't grab a hold of the purpose of God in your life, then you're going to miss life itself, because life is all about following the purpose that God has put us on this planet for, and if you believe that, turn to your neighbor and say, I believe that. How about you? So, knowing that, as we turn the pages into Nehemiah chapter 5, we see that the opposition and the attacks continue. Last week, we were in chapter 4, and we found out how opposition and the enemy from the outside had gotten stirred up, were, were upset that God was doing this great work in his great city called Jerusalem, and they came out of the woodworks, and a funny thing happened. As the work was continuing along very well, all of a sudden, boom, here comes an enemy. Have you noticed how that pattern just happens constantly in our lives? You're determined. I mean, we're in March now. 2019 is almost a quarter of the way through. Some of you are determined this is going to be a year of change. God's going to do some great things. I'm going to be obedient to him. I'm going to see God transform me in certain ways and areas of my life. And, and you get, get started with a, with a bang and you're off with, a, with flying colors. And all of a sudden, a few weeks, a few months into it, and whoop, the wheels seem to come off a little bit. 
Why? Because the enemy does not want to see what God's purposes are for your life come to fruition. He does not want to see that take place. He does not want to see you accomplish everything God has scripted out for your life. So he's going to do everything he can to derail that and to stop it. Just like he's doing with Nehemiah and his group here trying to rebuild the wall. So the, the enemy attacked from the outside. It was Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem and their armies. And they were coming and threatening and intimidating and talking smack and everything else they could think of to try to stop the work. We're in March 2019, as I said a moment ago. A little bit in this new year, and, and some of you are struggling already. Hear what God has to say to you today. So as we turn the pages into chapter 5, we find out there's a, a funnier thing that happens, and I put that as the title of this morning's message, which is funny, but it's, it's not funny. And this funnier thing that happened was a new enemy come up. This one I think you might be a little familiar with as well. It's called the enemy of internal opposition. You see, what happened is they began to turn on each other. You ever notice how that happens with a group of people? When, when you get two or more together for whatever it is, maybe it's your work, Maybe where you work, you have a group of people, at least two people and, and maybe more. Maybe it's a, a civic group that you're a part of. Maybe the, the Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts or I don't know about them anymore. But anyway, whatever other groups you might be a part of that, that, that has two or more people, maybe it's in your family. You ever notice this? When two or more are a part of a family, sometimes it's good to just to be a lone wolf. Maybe, I don't know. But anytime you have more than one person, then you're, you're liable to have some conflict amongst the humans, right? Isn't that pretty much so the way to put it? And so that's what we see in chapter 5 takes place. Now, the truth of the matter is there are still problems with division among the faithful today. Of course there are. Internal problems destroy more churches than external problems. Satan would rather cause division in churches than anywhere else. How many of you believe that to be true? Let me just see a show of hands. I, in in the, my time of ministry... <laughs> You haven't even had the question yet, but you're excited. Yeah, I got my hand up. I love that. In my time of ministry and the places I've served at, I've never experienced a church split. Thank God. But how many of you sitting inside this room right now, you've been at a church that had a split? Let me see your hands. As a matter of fact, just stand up. I want to see you stand up. Not that you were the cause of it. By no means we're not saying that's the case, but you were at a church that had a split while you were there. Stand up. Now take a look around at these beautiful people standing right now. That's probably a third or more of this group in this room Sunday morning here, March 10th, 2019. How tragic that is. You can sit back down. Thank you for your help. How tragic that is. But Satan loves nothing more than to come within, inside the church walls, and start stirring the pot and turning us against each other. And that's exactly what's taking place here. And I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of what's going on and what the problem, so to speak, was here. But, but we want to see the greater problem. You see, what happened is everybody had said, yes, sign me up. I'm going to help rebuild the wall. And, and everybody went to work with Nehemiah, and things were taking place at a rapid pace. They were working day and night. How many remember last week? They were working some of them with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other hand. They, they would not stop. They would not be deterred by the outside enemies that were coming to attack them. And, and man, they were working themselves like crazy. But a funny thing happened. There are some wealthier Jewish people there in that day and time, just like there are now. And, and we've got all levels and walks of life that, that, that are together in these groups that, that we have and even in our churches. 
And a lot of the Jewish workers were not wealthy, and so they were struggling financially. And, and so while they were working, they weren't planting. Because how many of you know back then there wasn't a Walmart <laughs> and there wasn't a McDee's or a Thank God Chick-fil-A. It would have been nice to have one back there. But, you know, we have that now. So it's not as easy as just go to the grocery store and buy your groceries. How many of you still plant a garden? Let me see your hands. Like three, four, maybe five of you. Back then, that's all they had. So they didn't have the opportunity to go out there and grow their food and, and take care of business in that way. So, so they, they were working on the wall. And so what happened is they were getting hungry. And the wealthier Jewish people had some money to spare and had some food to spare. And so what happened is they started borrowing money. The, the poor started borrowing money from the rich. But the richer people were, were putting these heavy, heavy interest rates on the money they were lending to the poorer people. Now remember, these are all Jewish people. They're all, quote, unquote, family, so to speak. They're all supposed to be a part of this team that's building the wall. It got to the point that the, the poor Jewish people that were working on the wall and, and trying to help this dream come to reality could not feed their family. They borrowed money. The interest rates were heavy. They couldn't pay back the money. Now, all this is going on while the wall is being built. And here's what happened. They got so desperate that they had to trade their children they had to let their children go to work for the, the richer people to help pay off the debt to kind of sell them, more or less, as work slaves. I mean, that's how bad it had gotten. And so when all this is going on, wow, all the time, bang, 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 the wall's being built. There's this growing sense of frustration and hurt and, and bitterness and division. And, and so, so Joe, Joe Worker over here on one corner starts talking to his, his, his buddy beside him that's working away on the wall and said, can you believe what they're doing to us? We're out here trying to help make this dream come to pass and, and build this wall and restore God's glory. And, and uh, the whole time, man, our, our brothers and sisters and, and, and God are, are, are taking advantage of us. And they're charging these humongous interest rates. And now we're having to sell our, our kids off it and to pay off the debt. And we don't even have money. We don't have food, man. We're in a bind. And so the next thing you know, it's grumble, 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 complain, complain, infighting, backbiting, hurt, disappointment, frustration. Any of you ever had those things in your life? I know I have. And, and so when that happens, work starts what? Slowing down. Progress starts grinding to a halt. And, and Nehemiah is up here trying to lead this whole, whole project, and, and he don't know what's going on at first, and, and he hasn't heard the rumblings, and, and he's unaware of the, the problems that are brewing amongst the family, so to speak. But believe you me, eventually he finds out. Because I'm going to tell you, the same thing happens in a church. Somebody's off in a little corner over here saying, boy, I sure don't like this about this church. Boy, I, I'm sure upset about this. Boy, I didn't get my way about this. So nip, 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 grab, 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 complain, grumble, 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 and all that stuff. And the next thing you know, somebody's happening along and said, do, 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 whoop, what was what, what, that you, you guys are talking about? Yeah, you know, I got, a, I got a complaint too. I don't like this and blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, there's a little group over here and a pocket over here of dissension and, and griping and complaining. And, am, I, am I talking to some foreign people here? Do you not understand what I'm saying? Does that sound familiar? And all of a sudden, there's this rumbling and murmuring and uprising. Moses dealt with it with the children of Israel when they're saying, you know, we brought us out here to die in the wilderness and we can't even find enough food. We don't have enough water. And, you know, God, what's he doing to us? And, and, and all of a sudden it starts at the grassroots level and it begins to rise and build momentum and everything else. And the next thing you know, the leaders will find out about it. 
they're going to hear that stuff. I'm just going to tell you right here from the pulpit this morning on Sunday morning, 2019, March 10th. Again, that's the third time I've said that. I believe God wants to do something indelible in us and not forget this date. I hate grumbling and complaining. I hate division. I hate it more than anything else. I hate that poison because it spreads through a group and it will kill the fire of God that he's trying to burn bright in and through his glorious church to be that church without spot or wrinkle or blemish so that we can be that testimony to a lost and dying world. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is encountering right here in chapter 5. A bunch of grumblers rising up. Now, let me tell you, these people had a legitimate gripe. I'm not saying that. They did not. But how they handled it is not biblical. It's not of God. Instead of doing what they did and grumbling, complaining, slowing down the work, they should have went to their leader, their pastor, so to speak, Nehemiah, and said, Nehemiah, if we could have a moment of your time, we've got some concerns we want to share with you that we're, we're struggling with. He, as a good leader, a good pastor, as, as God's appointed man for this, this assignment, would have said, please come in and let's sit down and let's talk about what, what you're going through and what's happening so we can, we can seek God for the right answer. Because here's the deal. Jewish law did not mind you lending money to your Jewish brethren. That was permissible. Everybody understand that? However, Jewish law did not allow you to tack interest on that money. So in other words, Todd, if I borrowed $100 from you, then that's all I would be required to pay you back is that $100, not $140 for allowing me to use that money like the banks like to do. You know what I'm saying? They want to get more money than what they lend to you. Jewish law was fine with lending to each other, but not tacking on that high interest rate that these guys were doing to their brethren. You understand what I'm saying? That was an issue. So all of a sudden, we've got a couple major issues. Number one, they were being mistreated by their richer brethren. I know we don't use that word brethren as much anymore. It sounds funny just saying it. I just say family. But number two, they didn't handle it the right way. Everybody follow along right now. Where we're at with this thing. It's easy to understand that tensions would be high, that be upset, be, be all that stuff I mentioned a moment ago. So that's where we find ourselves. And here's what Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25 tell us from the New Testament. A kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. Have you ever heard that before? Another translation says, a kingdom divided by civil war will what? Collapse. Will fall apart. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding is going to divide. Division can destroy any group, organization, or nation. The persistent growing division we see in our nation today is a very dangerous thing because division is the biggest factor to destroying an entity from within. Churches included. That's why more churches close than any other reason. It doesn't take big numbers. It can happen with two. It can happen with 2,000. It can happen with 200. And if you do not deal with conflict and division, they will damage or destroy the work of God, not only in a group, but also, look at me, in our lives personally. So I believe God has some powerful 
lessons on what that looks like in dealing with this the right way. And I believe we've got to grab a hold of that as a church because we are on the cusp of another wave of God doing amazingly big things here at and through Connections Church. I, I sense it, I feel it, I know it in my bones and in my heart. So what do we do when this happens? Because at the root, and I put this at the top of your outline, at the root of every internal conflict and disharmony is always this monster of a thing called selfishness. Some of you want to bow up and say, Pastor, I don't believe that to be true. I do. I really do. Because if you will take a look at what God's word says to us in James chapter 4, verse 1, it says specifically and directly, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't you love that question? <laughs> I mean, I know James was dealing with a similar issue here. He's frustrated. In the New Testament church, some things were not going right. And, and, and where he was serving and, and taking care of people, they were having conflict. And they were having division. And they were about to blow up and, and collapse. And he says to, to, the, to the people there, hey, listen to me. What's bringing this on? What is causing these issues amongst you that you're going you're gonna to blow up at each other? You're going to fight and you're going to walk away and, and this whole thing's going to collapse. And then he identifies the answer. He says, don't they come from your selfish desires that battle within you? Would you do me a favor and write the words I want somewhere on your paper, your, your notes, some of you got notebooks and you're tracking, you're writing all kind of stuff. That's great. Maybe you got your notes. Put I want on there. And after you've got those words clearly written on whatever you're writing it on, would you take, a, take your marker and make a circle around them? And then once you've got that circle around them, would you just take your marker also and put a big X mark over that? <laughs> Isn't that simple? But doesn't it show us that, that listen, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I live, yet it's not I that lives, but Christ lives where? Within me. So at that point in time, listen, folks, I literally don't have any more rights to nothing. That my rights die there on the cross of Calvary with Jesus Christ himself. That what I want, what my agenda is, what I'd like to see happen, what, what I prefer, none of that lives in me any longer. If, 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 if I am crucified, if I'm not, then guess what? That stuff's going to rise up in me and say, I want this, I deserve that, I like this, I prefer it this way, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But that's not who Jesus is. Matter of fact, we had this discussion. Somebody interacted with me on, on a text stream this week and said, is it okay for me to, to, me, me to, me to not want that but, but be willing to give in to Christ? And I said, yes. Jesus himself struggled with that in the garden right before he went to be crucified. He said, Father, if it be at all possible, take this cup of death from me. Nevertheless, not my will, <laughs> but yours be done. So if we are crucified with Christ, you can take your wants and wishes and rights and wad them up and whoop, throw them in the garbage heap because they no longer are to exist in us. And this is what, what James was trying to convey to his congregation, what Nehemiah is trying to convey to his congregation. And this is what I'm trying to convey to my congregation this morning. Our rights be gone and only what Christ has for me be resurrected to life. So what's the remedy for division? Because I'm going to tell you, Nehemiah knew that he was right on the line 
of this whole thing going south. You hear me this morning? It was heading south quickly if he didn't do the godly right thing. So number one on your outline, here's what he does. He gets ticked off. <laughs> You're like, wow, we're in church, Pastor. Would a godly man get ticked off? I don't know. I mean, Jesus was so meek and mild. No. Sometimes you got to get mad. Jesus did. I mean, remember the story about him walking to the temple and getting him a whip and saying, this is over. Overturning the money table. He said, this is a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Get out. That's your meek and mild Jesus. That's the one who said, you can be angry, but you don't have to sin. You don't have to cross that line. And there's a righteous anger that should rise up in us. And let me tell you something right now. In the day and time we're living in, there should be a righteous anger rising up in us with what's happening in our nation where they're legalizing murder of babies. I said it because I believe it. And it's time for the church to rise up and take a stand and say, no more. I am angry. I am ticked off. I have a righteous anger that belongs to God himself, not mine. But because I'm in him, I share with how he is feeling right now. In my heart of hearts, I believe the, the Father is grieved over where we are as a people in this country. That's the anger that rose up in Nehemiah. He got ticked off. Verse 6 says so. If you don't believe me, listen to what the Bible says. In verse 6 of chapter 5, Nehemiah says, When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. I love that term. I wasn't just angry. I was what? I was very angry. Now, some of us have been very angry this week, right? Might have been at your kids. You got to get to work. You got to get them to school, and they're just lollygagging around. How many of you got a little bit upset? Got a little frustrated. You felt something boiling inside of you like, come on, kiddos, we're going to be late. And you're trying to play with Legos in the, in the bathroom. Come on, brush your teeth and let's just go. You might have been angry in traffic and not just a little angry. You might have been very angry. Somebody cut you off. And to make it worse, they had a Jesus sticker on the back of their car. And you're like, what? Come on, man. And you got big time ticked off. Well, that's where Nehemiah was. And I said a moment ago, you can be angry and not sin. Even the Bible tells us that. And I want you to know something. If there's disharmony caused by selfishness, we better take it serious. There's a right kind of anger and a wrong kind. We've got to know the difference. And, and Nehemiah's wasn't a personal anger like, man, you people are doing this to me. I can't believe it. No, his was a higher vision and understanding. He knew that they were doing this to God. That to God be the glory, great things he is doing. He's wanting to rebuild this wall. He's wanting to restore Jerusalem. And you guys are fighting over this stuff? I don't know how many times I've told people who come in with little petty stuff and I've looked them in the eye and said, people are dying and going to hell and you're worrying about that? Really? How are you going to stand before God one day and say, well, God, you know, I, I just didn't like the color of the walls in that church and, and I tried to tell them 14 times they needed to paint a different color. And who cares about the color of the walls in the church? And not that anybody's complaining about that. It's just a hypothetical illustration I'm using here. But here, Get with me and understand that there are greater priorities. And Nehemiah was a man who understood the greater vision. And he also understood that this was a hinge point. And that's why he was angry. And then secondly, we see that he took a time out <laughs> to stop and think. Now, there's where a lot of us miss the boat. <laughs> and I'm confessing it with me. I know I've got a short fuse at times. 
Sorry. How better things would be if we would follow what he did in verse, the very first part of verse 7, where he says, after thinking it over. The Hebrew word translated as thinking literally means I consulted with myself. What it means is this, I stopped and took a time out. How many of you watched that game last night? I'm talking about the rugby match between Europe and Scotland. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk anything about the game other than when you're in a, in a game sometimes, momentum can turn on you quickly and things can begin to spiral out of control. And, and a good coach is going to know when to step up and say, time out. Stop. Hold on. We've got some consulting to do. We've got to think this thing through. We've got to figure it out. And I'm telling you, look at me. You're going to have some situations this coming week where it's going to be in your best interest, just as I'm going to have. It's going to be in my best interest to say, well, whoop, time, time out. I'm not going to react here. Instead, I'm going to just stop, take that time out, and go over here and say, okay, God, what do I do? Because I know what I want to do, right? I mean, we got that part down really well, don't we? But Lord, what I want to do is not necessarily what's right or what you want me to do. So Lord, please. And I love that about Nehemiah, man. He was wise enough to know that, hey, I need a time out. Because right now, I am at a boiling point. And right now, my flesh is right at the cusp of taking over this situation and responding and just spewing all over this thing as I should not do and making it worse and not, there you go, I was about to fall off stage waiting for you to help me. <laughs> Better. He's ticked off. But thank God he took a time out. James 1, 19 and 20 tells us, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Man, there's, God's word is so rich. That's not even the part that I really want you to get, but dear brothers and sisters, man, if we, we could just value one another in that way, wouldn't, wouldn't the church be even better than it is already? I'm going to go on because I'm going to get down the road. I can't right now, but understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There is a great difference between human anger and God's anger. We've got to stop, take a time out, hear from the Holy Spirit on what and how we are to proceed. Then third, Nehemiah spoke out about the issue. Verse 7 goes on to say, after thinking it over, man, I love that. There is a multitude of wisdom right there in that statement. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials, and I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Here's what I love about him, because I strive to be the same thing. He's direct about the problem. He's not going to sugarcoat it, dance around it, pretend it doesn't exist. No, he comes right out and says, after he takes some time to stop and process and pray and figure out his right response, then he steps up to the mic and he says, hey, here's the problem. 
You guys are abusing your own family members. You're taking full advantage of them in a terrible way. And he calls them out on it directly. He addresses the way they were sitting. He, he's just gotten here. He's just new to the leadership position. And he, he's going to change things by addressing things that they've been doing wrong for years. I love that. He has some gumption. He has some guts. He's daring to stand up and say, this is wrong and it's got to stop. Now, let me just say on a side note, that he's doing this as a leader with the authority that the king has given him to serve over these folks and in this situation that God has given him more than anything else. He's doing it as a leader. Sometimes, you know, what happens is in our personal lives, we get a little sideways with each other, don't we? Thank you, Jesse. Sometimes we don't always rub each other the right way. Sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. And I'm telling you what, the Bible is very clear on that. It tells us in the New Testament we're to go to our brothers in love and reason with them. And if they won't hear us, then we're to go and take some, some people with us that love Jesus and love us and sit down with them and say, hey, let's try this again. And if they won't do that, then we take them to the church. And, and then we as the church leaders process it and say, hey, if you don't get on board, you know, I, I, I counsel like this. I, I look at people and say, there's a sin problem somewhere in this situation. What we've got to do with God's help, find the sin problem, remove it from the equation. And I'm telling you, the, the unity of the Holy Spirit is going to bring us together and we're going to walk in love and this junk's going to be behind us. You're like, well, Pastor, I, I go to a psychologist that's got 14 years of school and training for that, and I don't care. I go to the king. He's got eternity back in him. He's got all the wisdom that will ever be. And what he says is that there's some kind of issue there that's rooted in a sin problem. Get the sin out, and you'll be amazed at how clear things get. But the problem is we don't like confrontation. We run from it instead of running to it. Now, I, I don't, I, I'm not in here saying, hey, love confrontation. If you're that kind of person, I'm love stirring stuff up, then you got some other issues you need to deal with. But what I'm saying is the mature, healthy disciple of Christ will be able to go in love and process issues properly. The immature believers will create more and more and more of a mess and it will never improve because they don't know how to improve it because they're not being obedient to what God's word lays out is the proper model for reconciliation. So what Nehemiah is dealing with is a little bit different here, but if we go by a personal situation, we look at Matthew 18 and follow the advice there in verses 15 through 17 where we go and love and, and reason together and work things out as Christ would live. But let me tell you something. And hear this, look at me right now, don't miss this. If you follow that model that's laid out in Matthew 18, and, and one of the, the, the people involved will not repent, will not get on board, then the Bible clearly tells us at the end of verse 17, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. Because they are locked into their sin and they're unwilling to repent of it and change. And at that point, all you can do is pray for them. You're like, well, man, that's, that's awful harsh, Pastor. I didn't write it. <laughs> I'm just sharing it with you. I don't like to get there, but I'm telling you this morning, I've had to get there with a number of people in my life, especially in the ministry side of things and in my personal side of things, and it breaks my heart because I love people. I'm going to tell you the most fulfilling part of life is relationships with people. And on the other side of the coin, the most frustrating part of life is relationships with people. 
It's just crazy two-headed monster, but man, that's just the way it is. But, but the gospel is very clear on how you process that as in your personal situation or as a leader. And, and Nehemiah did the right thing as a leader. Listen, Titus 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul tells the pastoral leaders, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. I'm going to tell you, I've walked down that road on multiple occasions and it is tough. I've walked down that road on people that were really close in my life. That people would have said, oh, you should rally around them because they are so-and-so to you. They are connected in this way. I don't care. If they are not following the truth of God's word, I can't embrace that. I can't condone that. I can't endorse that. All I can do is say, I have worked with you. I have strived with you. I have begged with you. I have prayed over you. I have done everything I know how to do as a pastor, as a friend, as whatever you want to fill in the blank that they're connected to me. But you will not heed the truth of God's word. And instead, you continue to hurt people and, and cause division and cause strife. And you will not change. So I have to release you and pray for you. People look at you and say, man, what a great job. You get to get up and inspire people and motivate people and love on them in Jesus and just be there when babies are born and great celebrations of retirement and anniversaries and, and all that is great. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a hard, hard side of serving Christ by serving people. Wounded, broken, beaten up, bashed. <laughs> Nehemiah did what Elvis used to say. He took care of business. Don't you love that? He didn't care. You see, he dealt with public divisions publicly is number four, that it was a situation everybody knew about, so he had to deal with it in that way. He had to, to bring it out. Now, if there's a personal sin, you confess it personally to God. If it's a private sin between you and another person, you deal with that privately between the two of you. If you have a disagreement with the leadership of a ministry or a church, then you go to that leader in love, and you work together and walk together and, and work it out with the help of God and, and all that stuff. But this was a public situation that was growing by leaps and bounds by every moment. So Nehemiah went public with it, and as the leader that God has sent, he publicly took on the city leaders, and he rebuked them for their, their wrong actions. And let me tell you something. What a big step that was, because here's something you may not have thought about in this, this account of Nehemiah's life right here in this moment, was those rich people that were doing all this, they were also the rich people that were helping majorly to fund the wall rebuilding project. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you think about it. you got a church. You're going to build a new building. You're paying for the building you're in. You, you're buying land. You're, you're taking territory as God gives it to you and all that. And, and you know what a part of that is, is, is God bringing the resources through people who, who will give faithfully. And you guys do amazing in that. But there's always this temptation in the leader's mind and heart that's going to come knocking on his door saying, hey, be careful how you talk to that one. Be careful how you treat them. Oh, just wink and nod. Let them get away with that because, you know, they give the most ties in, in the church and, and they give the biggest amounts of money to the building campaign and they this and they that. 
when we were on the cusp of building this building, we had just bought this land, and we were still over in East Belmont, and we had, had someone that was trying to be a part of the leadership team, but they had a major sin in their lives, and I had sat down with them personally and, and looked them in the eye across the table and with tears coming down my face. I said, this has got to stop. You cannot continue doing this in your life. I mean, you can, but if you're going to be a part of God's kingdom, if you're going to be a part of a leadership uh, situation in, in, in the church and stuff, this cannot be allowed. We, we, I won't allow it. And instead of broken repentance and crying out to God for forgiveness and helping to transform from that, they looked at me and said, I'm okay. I'm good with it. I know God understands. And I'm like, you don't know your word then. Because it's very clear right here what his standard is on this subject. And instead of all of that restoration, reconciliation, repentance happening, he got up from the table and looked at me and said, if you think y'all are going to ever build a church building with these young people that you have and, and, and us not being here, you're out of your mind. And I looked at him with a big old grin and said, you doggone right, I'm out of my mind. And I'm in his. And what he says is truth. And what he says, I choose to stand on. And if it takes me compromising to give in to people like you with, with, with your heart that will not repent and change and, and, and kowtow to your stuff, then guess what? I'm going to go sell cars because there's more integrity there than here doing something like that. And I will not be a part of it. Bye. A year later, we were in here. <laughs> Don't you love it? God builds his church. This is his stuff. I just get to be a manager. I get to be a steward. I get to have a little part in it. But I know this with my heart of hearts after 30 plus years of ministry. If I follow his truth, if I do not compromise, if I stay in the integrity of my heart with him, then guess what? He'll take care of everything else. And Nehemiah knew he was taking that risk, but he got up anyway, and he called these people out, and he said, this has got to stop. He didn't care if they were the biggest givers. Showed his integrity. He said, what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? See, what he's doing right now is appealing to their convictions. He's saying, what you're doing is a terrible testimony. Unbelievers are outside looking in and saying, those people are supposed to be godly people, but look at them. They're being awful to each other. How many times has the church been accused of that? Look how you treat each other. Look how you talk about each other. You in there, oh, praise God. God is good. We love you, Jesus. And you walk out the door, you're like, do you see what so-and-so had on today? How dare they show up looking like that? Oh, I heard this. They, last week they blah, 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 blah. And that's the testimony that we portray to the world that's outside. Discord is always a terrible testimony. When a church gets a reputation for being contentious, it loses its effectiveness. The world avoids churches where people fight with each other. People are looking for a church, for a, for a safe haven, for a place of God's glory, of love, of truth, of power, of, of majesty, of, of his, his presence. And they'll run away screaming from an unhealthy church that bickers and fights, tears each other apart. Number five, thankfully he got a healthy, right result. Verse 12 says, they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. 
He must have breathed a sigh of relief at this point. It was quite a, a gamble to challenge these people, but Nehemiah didn't, didn't hold back. He wasn't going to just take their word for it. So verse 12 continues. He said, then I called the priest and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. Listen, he didn't just let them say they would change. He made them take a public vow. And then Nehemiah, with a dramatic flair, gives this object lesson in verse 13. He says, he says, I shook out the folds of my robe. I told somebody this week, I think I'm going to start preaching in a robe. Summertime's coming. I could throw on some gym shorts, tank top underneath that, put the robe on, man, and just go for it. You wouldn't know. I'd have my robe on. But he got that robe and he shook out the folds of it. Any, any crumbs, debris, dirt, or whatever he's there, he said, listen, let your life be like the folds of this robe that, that God will remove everything from you if you don't follow through with the commitment you are making before him today. Man, that'll get your attention. That's a test of faith that he passed with flying colors. I love that. And then lastly, we find out that Nehemiah set an unselfish example in his own life. The foundation of all of Nehemiah's leadership was leading by example. Can you write that down? I want to lead by example. When he asked them to, to build the wall, he was out there in the wall too. When he asked them to pray, he had already been praying and was still praying. When he asked them to stay up all night and work night and day to get it built, he stayed up night and day with them to get it built. When he asked them to help the poor, he had already been doing that. And that's what these next verses say. Verse 14 is a little biological statement about Nehemiah. He said, for the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. Their structure was set up like ours today. It's up ours. We just pay taxes. We just give money that they take from us and take from us and take and take and take and take. They tax everything. You even got a death tax. When you die, you got to pay some kind of tax. And one of the reasons this country was founded was to escape taxation. I know it's taxation without representation, but our representation is killing us right now. And back in this day, it wasn't necessarily paying money, but people would bring a, a, a portion of their grains that they, they raised, a portion of their cattle that, that they raised, and, and, and whatever else they raised, and they would bring it, and they would give it to the governors and the officials, and, and that's how they would live. But Nehemiah said, we took nothing from the people. Man, I love that. Instead, I just gave and gave and served. He wasn't applauding himself, patting himself on the back, but he was setting the example. Nehemiah was a man of action. If he, if he needed it done, he was going to go out there and do it with them and show the way by doing it. I'm telling you, man, I love that. Paul was the same way. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. He wasn't being arrogant. He wasn't saying, I'm trying to do it the best way to imitate the best example, the ideal example. No, because of that, he said, follow me as I'm just simply trying to follow Christ. I'm not going to be one of those guys that just tells you what to do, and I don't do it myself. I'm going to do it and say, come do it with me. That was the model that Jesus always used. He was like, I'm going to do it. Come do it with me, guys. That's how he, he worked with his disciples and taught them and trained them and poured into them. Man, I'm in awe of, of this guy, Nehemiah, how he took these godly stands over and over and over again. And the reason why was because he knew it mattered. And I'm telling you this morning, it matters. I'm telling you, it matters in your personal life. You take that stand you don't back down or bow down to the idols of this world or to compromise. You stand strong on the word of God and what he has called us, the standard in which he has called us to. 
And we do that as a church body. Look at me, guys. All of hell can't stop us when we do what God's called us to do in the way in which he's called us to do it. Would you close your eyes with me just for a moment? So what is your responsibility as your eyes are closed and we finish this part of our service? If Connections is your church family, Ephesians 4.3 is essentially our job description given to us from, from your pastor for, from now until Jesus comes back. And listen to what it says to us. Ephesians 4.3 declares, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I love that. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That's the job description. Make every effort for unity and peace in Jesus Christ. That means make it a huge priority to promote unity and harmony in our church, in our families, in every part of our lives. The fact is, whenever you've got a, a group of people, internal differences are inevitable. There are going to be differences. There's no such thing as a perfect church or perfect family or perfect business or office, school, etc. There's going to be conflict, but God wants us to minimize that for His glory. The testimony of a church should not be beautiful buildings, great sermons, awesome music, but how we love one another. That is the true mark of Christianity. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this they will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another another. Guys, individually, we can do quite a bit through Christ, but man, together, corporately, all of us, we can do so much more. So here's the two ways of, of a prayer call right now that I feel the Holy Spirit challenging my heart. The first one is if there's conflict between you and Christ, if, if you and God's relationship is, is not all that it's supposed to be. If there's something there that's, that's tripping you up, if, if there's some conflict, there's some disagreement on something, I don't know what it is, but, but if your life isn't right with Christ Jesus right now, it's time to take care of that business first and foremost because if the horizontal is not right, the vertical can never be right. So if you're in this room and you say, Pastor, you know what? There's some challenges there. There's some problems. There's some sin. There's some junk. There's some stuff I need to make right with my God this morning. Would you just raise your hands all across this room and say, please pray for me today. I, I don't want anything to be between me and Christ, anything at all. Would you just slip your hand up? Yes, sir. How many others would say, please don't forget me this morning. I I need to confess and repent and change some things in my life. Yes, thank you. Who else would say, hey, that's me. I've, I've got some stuff going on, and boy, I need Jesus to come and change that. Can I see your hands as well? And maybe you're in this room. Yes, thank you. Maybe you're in this room and say, you know what? I've, I've got some hardship between me and some people, me and somebody. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's more than one, but there's some conflict in an earthly relationship that with all I can do I need to strive for the unity and peace and forgiveness and restoration in that situation can I see your hands across this room if you're there thank you, thank you, thank you how many others just 
join these and say, pray for me. Yes, yes. Yes, anybody else? Just lift your hands up right now. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Yes, how many others? Just lift your hands up. God's here to restore and rebuild the broken things in our lives, and that, that includes relationships, folks, big time. Those are huge, huge, huge. Anybody else would say, pray for me right now in this moment. There's one other thing that, that just hit my heart, and I know I said two, but if you'll allow me some grace. This whole thing of a church family. Maybe you've had some hardship within the family. Maybe you've been a part of it. Maybe you caused it. Maybe you joined in. Maybe you were on the fringe. I don't know, but I just felt in my spirit just now to, to say, let's pray for that. If, if you're struggling with walking in unity and peace with your family here at Connections or wherever you call family, could you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, remember me. There's some stuff there that needs to be dealt with by the Holy Spirit and changed in my life. And I want to confess that this morning. Anybody at all, just raise your hands up. I want to pray for you as well. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Did you do this for me right now? Everybody stand to your feet. If you raise your hand or not, just stand up. And I want you to find at least four or five other people close by you. And I want you to form a little family circle there with those four or five people. You can move around. Go ahead. you got permission. Move. Find four or five. Make a circle up with them. It's not a, a hard number there. It could be six. It could be seven, eight, ten. I don't know. Just make a circle with some people. Some suggestions there and numbers. It's okay. I want you to take their hands and I want you to Unite with them physically in that sense, but even more so, you're not you're uniting your heart, your spirit. You're uniting yourself with them as family. And I would venture to say, within every circle that's in this room, there at least one or two people that raise their hand for restoration with God and in, in, in a relationship with Him, healing and renewal in a relationship with somebody else, or a church situation and relationship that that needs the, uh, the healing of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to give a moment for you to start praying for each other. And you say, well, Pastor, I really don't know these people. And that's okay. You just begin to pray for that brother on your right and that sister to your left that you're holding hands with. You've already made the bigger step and took their hand in your hand. But would you just begin to pray for each other right now as a body of believers, the family of God, here at Connections Church, Belmont, and then I'm going to pray over us and then we're going to worship together in song one more time in this, in this service and really let Him have it. Let Him have it all. Just surrender right now. Father, thank You. Thank You for the, the healing balm of Gilead that is flowing in and through this place right now. Thank You for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that speak into hearts speak into lives right now and even prophetic words that are coming right now for one another in this room that, that you're working in and through God oh God in our student ministry over here that they're ministering to each other right now and 
adults all across this room as they're ministering to each other right now. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, your spirit is real. Your love is, is real. Your power is real. Your presence is real. It's here. God, it's not something we have to conjure up or fake or imitate. God, it, you're real. You really love us, and you're really here to do a great work of restoration in our lives. The things that the enemy has tried to destroy and break down, and, and, and God, you are raising up right now in healing and restoration. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Flow in us and through us, God. We yield ourselves. Would you just open your heart completely? And say, Lord, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and baptize me fresh and new and saturate my life. Bring your healing touch. Heavenly Father, heal and renew today. Those who raised a hand and, and opened their heart and said, Jesus, come and remove every hindrance from our relationship. Every, every broken place be, be restored and renewed, God. Lord, would you just go and do that work right now in all of our lives. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Put your fire strong in us, God. And for those who said, Lord, I've got some issue and some conflict with, with people here that I live with, that I know, that I work with, that we were once friends, neighbors, co-workers, schoolmates, whatever it may be, God, family. Holy Spirit, you come and help us to make those first moves, God. Give us the boldness and the courage to reach out and say, hey, as much as depends on me, I want to see this restored. And, and I am here, and I am willing, and I love you, and I forgive you, and, and whatever God can do in us is more than we can do ourselves if we give him opportunity. So, Lord, give us the courage to go and do that. And for those who have had church hurt, church situations, church family junk to happen, whatever it may be, God. I don't know, but you know, Lord. And some people raised their hand and said, yeah, I need some help there. Show up in a big way because we are your bride. You want us to be without spot or wrinkle. We're the apple of your eye. We're that shining city on a hill. God, make us that and so much more. Make us that, Lord, and so much more. God, just come and do your work through us. And as we worship you this morning, we worship you in spirit and in truth, holding nothing back and honoring you with our hearts and our lives in this time of celebration. Would you just sing out to the Lord today, church, and give him everything you've got in your life today as worship to him. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.